Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. An A&E original podcast. This episode contains descriptions of sexual assault and suicidal ideation. Listener discretion is advised. He's remorseful for being caught, but not for what he did. And I think he joyed what he did. He didn't have a remorse, a remorse bone in his body at all. I truly believe that. In November of 1984, Lisa McVeigh Noland was a 17-year-old living in Tampa, Florida, with her grandmother and her grandmother's boyfriend. Tampa, Florida is within Hillsborough County jurisdiction. Um, It's a very safe place to live today. We have your areas like any other place of your uh, not-so-safe areas, but it's it's not a lot. It's fun here. We've got the beaches here. Uh, One minute it's raining, thunderstorms. Next minute it's butterflies and rainbows. While Tampa may have been butterflies and rainbows, Lisa's home life was anything but. I was tired of my grandmother's boyfriend uh, raping me over and over every day for four years with my grandmother's permission. My grandmother would watch. She never stopped. Never stopped to protect me. Lisa didn't know what to do. Finally, on November 3rd, she'd had enough. I had uh, went to work like any other day. I was going to kill myself when I came home that night. I was tired of being in pain. This is I Survived, the podcast where we talk to people who've lived through the worst things imaginable and all the tragic, messy, and wonderful things that happen after survival. I'm Caitlin Van Malt. I worked the day shift at the donut shop. I was asked to work a double shift by my boss, which I had to get permission from my grandmother. And I ended up working to at 2 o'clock in the morning is when I started riding my bicycle home from work. That was the only transportation I had at the time was a bicycle. But it was a good three miles each way uh, back and forth from my house to work. I usually always took the same route home from the donut shop. Um, traffic is still, it's out, but it's light. But, you know, you got people, you know, coming home from bars and that kind of stuff. Um, as I'm pedaling my bicycle, I'd come to an intersection of a church and of a, uh, like a county park or a city park. And I noticed um, in the church parking lot was a car parked, blacked out. It just struck me odd because it was in the middle of the parking lot of gravel. It was all gravel. There was no asphalt at the time. And I thought to myself, I said, how scary would it be someone to jump out and grab me? And the road was dark. It was so dark. It was frightening, but I had to get home. So I decided to keep pedaling. And then as soon as I passed the white van, I, I felt someone just yank me off my bicycle from, from around my neck. He put his arm around my neck, and next thing I know, I'm fighting for my life. I uh, scream, what I would do is don't kill me. And then that's when I felt the uh, cold still barrel of a gun to my left temple. It was nothing new. My grandmother's boyfriend was abusing me at the same time this was going on for four years, sexually abusing me. And 
and he would put a gun to my head as well. So it was nothing new to me. It was just, that was norm for me. Lisa didn't panic and was able to pay attention to her surroundings. He uh, threw me into the car, but I could see what the car color was. Uh, I noticed it was maroon color car, the white top, one that the rear driver's side tire was on backwards as if it was a flat and it was, he had to replace it with a spare. I get in, I see white bucket seats, uh, red carpet on the floor. It's a real thick carpet. I saw a huge uh, knife. It was like a hunter's knife. And, and at that moment, I, I knew this guy was very serious what he was doing. He gets in the car, he orders me to take all my clothes off, and then he decides to uh, tie my arms, my wrists up, my legs, and um, blindfold me. But the one thing that got me thinking, if he blindfolds me, how am I gonna see anything? I had to think of a way to make the blindfold loose. So when he tied it around my, my eyes, I would tighten my jaw to make it loose. And it worked for me. He told me that as long as I showed him a good time, he would not kill me. And that's when the first sexual offense occurred. Um, he ordered me to uh, perform an oral act on him. He grabs my hair. Um, he did not complete. Ordered me to lay back in the seat. The seat was reclined and that I was going to continue to show him a good time. He asked me how old what it was. I said I was 19. He asked if I had a boyfriend. I said yes, because obviously, I guess, apparently to him, I was experienced. Even though Lisa had been on her way home, planning to die that night, something inside her shifted, and now she was determined to live. But the moment when he told me I was going to continue to show him a good time, something inside of me, I had to reach down the pit of my stomach. So I had to just reach down far as I can, not today, not on my own watch, and I'm not going to allow somebody to kill me. I don't care what he did to me, what he was going to do to me, I was not going to allow this man to kill me. I had to remind myself to stay calm, not to get this person enraged with anger, because that would set him off. I had to remain calm, and I had to play smart and think smart. I never for one moment at that time thought of anything other than, I'm going to survive this attack. No matter what costs, what it takes, I'm going to survive. And I had to. I did. The man started to drive. Lisa's eyes were covered, but she could see at the bottom of the blindfold. I had to try to see if I can identify anything in the car that would help me recognize the car again if I was to go to the police. And the next thing I know, I saw the word Magnum on the dashboard. Well, I'm 17. I don't know making models of cars at the time, but anytime I saw, smelled, touched, or heard something, I just categorize it in my mind so I can remember Magnum on the, on the dashboard, Magnum P.I., it's almost like you play that concentration game. After driving for about 20 minutes, the man stopped the car in a wooded area. He orders me to get dressed. I thought it was kind of odd, right, get dressed. So I got dressed. He gets out of the car, and I remember I'm on my period. So I just ripped my tampon out um, and threw it underneath the car seat, thinking, if I do survive this and this is inside of me, it's going to injure me. So I threw it underneath the car seat, but also for blood match my blood match. So I'm actually praying the Lord's Prayer. At this moment, I'm thinking he's going to take me to the woods, rape me. He's going he's gonna to shoot and kill me. But instead of heading into the woods, he took her out of the car and inside of a building. I, I could see a silver door handle. The door appeared to be uh, like painted white. I felt glass on the window. 
he opens the door and I can see now we're about to go up some steps. I can see the, the floor in front of me, but it was, it was carpet. It was predominantly all green with yellow, black, red, and white specks in it. Each step that I went up, I count it to see how many steps I got to count to get back down if I was able to escape. There was 19 to include the platform at the top. Take a quick left, a quick right, and he reaches for a door, unlocks it. Now I see a, a black revolver in his left hand. He is white, Caucasian, um, and he's left-handed. He walked her into an apartment, and Lisa kept observing and remembering everything she could. We enter into the apartment. I can smell the apartment's freshly painted. It felt very clean in there. Uh, once we get inside, he orders me to take my clothes off again immediately. He removes my ligatures, uh, my blindfold, and he escorts me um, into the bathroom, insisting and demanding that I keep my eyes shut at all times. He puts me into the shower, uh, then he climbs in the shower with me. He pulls me to him. It was almost like he was living out of fantasy with a girlfriend. It was almost as if we were just two lovers in the shower, just, you know, showering our love for one another. It was just odd. He was caressing. He was, he was almost like he was trying to be loving. While he held her from behind, she could open her eyes and look for details. I'm looking for a way out, looking for a window. Didn't see anything. I saw the uh, white, smaller size uh, type subway tile. I could see that he has brown hair. Um, he bathes me. He orders me out of the shower and orders me to dry my hair. Well, now my hand, my fingerprints are on the hair dryer. And after I dried my hair, he threw me down the back of the floor and he got enraged. He got angry with me, um, screaming at me why I didn't tell him I was on my, my monthly cycle. Um, he's calling me all kinds of profanity names. I just told him I didn't know, I didn't think that was important. And that's when he just, he brutally raped me at that, that was the very first bad attack. He then walked her into the bedroom. I'm ordered to keep my eyes shut, but he walks behind me, so now my eyes are open. I could see a leopard print, some type of cougar, cat, whatever it was, up on the wall, and there was the box fan. Um, and then I hear the sounds, what I thought, the sound of uh, metal hitting metal, possibly the bullets of the gun, um, going into one of those metal trash cans, like a sports trash can we keep in our offices at home. He escorts me to the bed. He retires my wrists and my and my ankles, re-blindfolds me again, lays me in bed. I almost fall out because uh, it's a waterbed, not realizing it was a waterbed. So after he climbs in bed across over me, he slides the gun across my stomach, telling me, uh, just as a reminder, this is still here. I need you to get some sleep. I didn't sleep at all. I remember when he tied my wrists up, they, they were loose to where I could move around. And I remember I had ripped my hair out of my hair and I threw it under the bed just so that's my hair match. I had to leave my mark. I had to leave my hair. Something to show that I was there. So time goes by. Um, I mean, there's, I lost count how many times he attacked me within 26 hours in the bed. Um, we got to talking about um, girls. When I was in high school, uh, he, he wanted to know what they look like, what their breasts look like and their bodies when we dress out. And I was the typical poster child of sexual abuse at home. I never dressed out in front of my friends. Um, I had marks on me, bruises, but I would just lie to him to appease him, to coddle him, give him what he wanted and baby him and keep him soft. 
And then at one point he asked me my name. I told him my name was Carol. I didn't think he deserved to know that I was Lisa. Uh, but from then on, he never called me Carol. He called me Babe. And then at one time he reached over and he grabbed my hands and he had me touch his face. And again, my heighten of not being able to see through the blindfold, I was able to see him through my hands. He had a pockmarked face and small nose. He had a clean mustache. And it felt like he had just had a haircut from a barber shop. I said, if he killed me, um, he would take me away from my dad. Uh, my dad was very ill. He had diabetes. Um, he had um, uh, eventually ended up losing both of his legs up to the knee. And if he killed me, I was his only living relative and he would have no one to take care of him. And he would eventually just die because heartbreak of losing his, his only daughter. She was actually referring to her grandmother's boyfriend. It was a mix of the truth and a lie. He was not my dad. He was also an abuser. He was a rape, a pedophile. He was a rapist. But I had to show him how real I was as a person, how caring and giving I was as a person. So hopefully I can get him to see me in a different light other than an object, something that he wanted to hurt or kill and just throw away. I had to show him that I was a real person. And, and it, obviously it, it, it worked. After many hours in the bed, where he raped her multiple times. Lisa needed to use the bathroom. He wouldn't let me go. And I said, well, then I'm going to have to just, you know, pee in the bed. Um, he agreed to let me go to the bathroom. And as I'm sitting on the toilet, I'm blindfolded, still stored ligatures on my arms and my feet. Enough to move around, though. I said, I can't, I can't go to the bathroom. You stand there. Can you please close the door? He goes, you've got five minutes. I was shocked he actually closed the door. And something just, the fight in me just said, start putting your fingerprints everywhere. I put them behind the mirror of the medicine cabinet, bottles that were in the medicine cabinet, hair dryer had my fingerprints on it, the, the toilet seat lid, and then the tank itself and the handle, um, the cabinet, cabinetry. He felt I was taking too long. By that time, he busts the door down and I'm already sitting back down on the toilet. Lisa has now been kidnapped for approximately 20 hours. About 11 o'clock, November 3rd, uh, new, uh, there was a show on called Airwolf, police show. So it kind of gave me an idea of what time it was. And then the news broke in about a 17-year-old girl was taken off her bicycle. And the bicycle had been found in the street. And the uh, family was worried about her. And this wanted the, uh, the girl to know that she was being looked for. And then I started crying. I started crying. And not so much yelling. Uh, he came over with the gun, put the gun to my left temple again. And uh, this is what got me to that I, I somehow gained his trust that please stop crying, screaming, or, or you're going to force me to blow your head off. And I stopped crying immediately. Several more hours passed where he raped her again and again. About three o'clock the next morning, he gets me dressed. He says, what, are, what am I going to do with you? He was very anxious, very nervous. He was demanding to know if I was indeed 19 years old, not 17. As I'm not the girl on, on the news. I am 19. I have a boyfriend. Again, lying to him to keep him calm. And I said, listen, we can stay together. We don't have to tell people how we met. We can be a girlfriend, a boyfriend. I said, you seem like a really nice guy. And I'll take good care of you. 
um, I had to get inside of his mind and use basically reverse psychology to get him to think more clearly because he was already anxious. He's already nervous what to do with me, but now he needs to see a positive side of even though he was doing this horrible thing to me, this, this girl thinks I'm still a nice guy. He finally got someone to care about him. He didn't get someone that was cursing at him or trying to fight him. He finally found someone that basically tried in his mind, understood him. And after I asked if he can just keep me, we can be boyfriend and girlfriend. Um, he told me he couldn't keep me. It wouldn't work out and that he would, uh, he, he would uh, drop me off close to where I lived at. And that's when he asked me where I lived at. And I told him and off we went, we got in the car. I, I couldn't believe what we were doing. I, I really for sure thought he was going to kill me. But first, he stopped at an ATM and a gas station. And by the way, the gas station, he told me if I run from the car, he was going to go kill the gas station attendant and that his death would be on my shoulders. And I wasn't, I've gotten this far. I wasn't going to jeopardize my freedom. So I stayed in the car. And then on the way back, I'm thinking to myself, I can still see a little bit under my blindfold. I did the same thing my tightening my chin my jaw so I could see beneath the blindfold and I just had to know where I'm at and I know Tampa very well even at the age of 17 I've lived here most of my life um, as we're driving down the road I see these two marquee signs and they were like 30 40 feet in the air on either side of an interstate one was a quality inn one was Howard Johnson's and I knew exactly where we were. We were at Fowler Interstate 275. So that kind of gauged me into remembering where I was, where that was very pertinent information to store away, to let the police know what vicinity I might have been taken to. He eventually drove her to her neighborhood. And he pulls into a side of a business, parks the car, hugs me. He asked me if I was to go to the, to the police, describe to them other than what I thought he looked like or what who he was. He told me he was sorry, to uh, tell my dad he was sorry and that basically he was the reason why he let me live. After he gets me out of the car, he walks me in a north direction. Uh, my feet hit a curb. I actually almost fell over. He actually caught me. He goes, I need you to stand there for five minutes until I take off and then you can go home. I'm still thinking I'm in disbelief. Is he gonna shoot me now in the back? Is he gonna kill me? If he shoots me, am I gonna survive? Am I gonna be paralyzed? But just as quick as he took me, this is quick he dropped me off. He got back in his car, he, he drove off. And I'm standing there, I'm frozen. And I'm thinking to myself, what just happened? Did this just happen in my dreaming? So I go take my blindfold off and I, I can't untie it so tight. I just pull it down off my face and it's, you know, dangling down from my neck now. And the first thing I see was this beautiful oak tree. And I looked up and I realized I'm in the parking lot of a business, a two-story business. I look up at this tree and I started crying. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna be okay. The branches of life, a new life. I knew that my life was about to change for the better, especially at home. So I turn around, I started running. I just start running. And of course, again, it's four o'clock in the morning. People getting going to work. Or there was there was cars, but anytime a car went by me, I just I hit I hit the ground. I just was so afraid of him coming back, thinking he made a mistake. He was coming back after me. It was a good distance. It probably maybe uh, a little under a half a mile to run home. And it seemed like it took forever to get there. It seemed like the house was get, being further and further away. Lisa ran and ran and finally made her way back to the front door of her own home. 
I must have banged on that door, front door for like 30, 40 minutes. I just, I couldn't get in. Now I'm, my, my clothes are torn. My face is dirty. My hair is disarray because I'm all, I've been hitting the ground, the dirt. Finally, my grandma's boyfriend grabs the door. He opens the door and grabs him on my hair. And just for the next five hours, he uh, decided he wanted to beat me. He's going to beat the truth out of me, where I've been at, who I've been with. Uh, why am I cheating on him? Um, it, it was awful. I kept telling him, I've been kidnapped. I've been raped again. And they wouldn't believe me. My grandmother finally calls the police and says, you know, Lisa's home. But she's talking about something, some stupid story about being kidnapped. Thankfully, to that police officer, I wish I could always thank him, but I don't know who it was. I still don't know who he is till this day. He heard the word kidnapped and he goes, we need to open an investigation. And that's when they came and got me. I had to go to the hospital. I had to have a rape rape kit done. And that if you ever, never had one done, it's um, almost being violated all over again because nurses and doctors are looking at you. They're testing you, taking this and taking that samples and, you know, scraping your fingernails and stuff, DNA out of your mouth and... It was horrible. It was horrible. But I did it. I had to do it. Lisa had been through the sexual assault forensic exam, but police still had a lot of questions for her at the station. They couldn't believe how much detail she remembered. Well, it was a female officer at first that had came in. Um, We sat for hours talking about what happened to me, and not once did my story change. Not once. She finally gets up and tells me, I'm going to go get some water for you. I'll be right back. I guess there was an officer staying outside the door. I overheard, or I thought I overheard, that this is too many holes in her story. She's not, you know, this. she's too calm telling her story. Something just not right. She comes back in. I was like, I want to go home. I'm done talking. I went home. Finally got to come back down, and that's when I got uh, Sergeant Larry Pinkerton involved. And the minute he walked in that room, his, this is presence, his calm demeanor. He was so authentic and so caring and so loving. Instead of doubting Lisa because she remembered so much detail, Detective Larry Pinkerton with the Tampa Police Department was impressed. He suggested hypnotizing Lisa to see if she could remember more that way. Lisa was on board, but when they asked Lisa's grandmother's boyfriend as her guardian for permission, he said no. This was a red flag to Detective Pinkerton. He goes, you want to tell me what's going on at home? I couldn't talk. He pulled his wallet out and showed me a picture of his wife and his daughter. Beautiful. I would do anything for my family, even as a dad. I don't understand why your dad doesn't agree to a few things so we can help get this case resolved. And that's when he says, is he hurting you? And that was it. I opened up to him. I told him everything was going on at home, how my grandmother set everything up for this man to rape me for the last four years. Um, And they went and arrested him. And they put him in jail. Her grandmother's boyfriend was arrested. He would never touch Lisa again. Larry Pinkerton had um, gotten me into a runaway shelter um, soon after my grandma's uh, boyfriend's arrest. I had no contact with the grandmother anymore. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Prior to Lisa's attack, Tampa police had been trying to solve a series of murders. From May through November of 1984, the bodies of Lana Long, Michelle Sims, Elizabeth Loudenbeck, Chanel Williams, Karen Densfriend, Kimberly Hopps, Kim Swan, and Virginia Johnson were all found in various places around Tampa. Police had physical evidence from the crime scenes, including red fiber and tire tracks, but nothing to test it against. They still had no leads as to who killed these women. They needed a break, which they got when Lisa happened to be watching the news one day. The news came on. Another dead body had been found. And I knew at that moment, when the hairs on the back of my neck stood up, I froze, and I said, Dear God, the man that had me is the serial killer. I called the police department. I said, You need to have Larry come get me. I got something to tell him, something else that I have got to talk to him about. I told him my feelings were of this perpetrator, this, the guy that had me was the same, indeed, man who was killing these women. He's, how do you know? Are you 100% sure? I said, my gut instincts tell me. It's him. From the Magnum logo Lisa saw on the dashboard of the car, police determined the man was driving a Dodge Magnum. They also figured out which ATM he used the night he abducted Lisa and subpoenaed the bank's records. Comparing the list of registered Dodge Magnum owners from the DMV with a list of ATM users around the time Lisa said they were there, one name matched, Robert Joe Long. Even though Lisa was blindfolded for most of her attack, police still brought a photo array to see if she could identify her attacker. Larry Pinkerton came to the runaway center and had a photo pack. And I remember when I first touched his face, he had these, it wasn't just like pockmarked face, he had deep pockmarked face, you know, almost like he experienced acne as a boy. And when he showed me the photos, they go through the basic, you know, make sure you're 100% sure before you say yes, study the photos. I basically almost immediately identified uh, the serial killer. I put it to the picture. He goes, take your time. I say, I don't need to, that's your guy. He goes, are you 100% 100 sure? I was like, I'm 110% sure that is your serial killer. Robert Joe Long was arrested outside of a movie theater on November 16th. Detective Pinkerton broke the news to Lisa. Larry Pinkerton uh, came in and told me about Robert Joe Long's arrest. And I was just amazed that Sergeant Pinkerton, he never left my side. And I'm glad he's the one that told me that he got caught. 
it humbled me to know that here a couple days before my or the day before my abduction I was wanting to kill myself and then it was like God intervened not today not today no matter what you're going through don't care yourself you're too precious I think it humbled me I was glad he was caught this is how I put it justice was served the day he was arrested that's how I felt justice finally prevailed for me it also showed the women that he killed that they had a voice and that voice was me Robert Joe Long confessed to all eight murders plus the murder of a woman named Artis Wick but he wasn't done he also confessed to roughly 50 sexual assaults in St. Petersburg and Miami Florida He would respond to classified ads pretending to be a buyer or worker, and if the woman who placed the ad was home alone, he would rape her. Ultimately, Long was tried for the murder of Virginia Johnson in Pasco County and Michelle Sims in Hillsborough County. He did a plea bargain for my case. So when I went to court numerous times, um, I was never allowed to talk about my ordeal with him. I was to only identify him and my clothing. That was it. I never had a victim's advocate. There were times I was angry. Nobody was there for me. I'd go down to court, sit in a hotel room, wait to go to court, sat in a room by myself. I had no one. No one. It was awful. Um, I'd walk into court, and he would just stare me down. Uh, there was one time he did point his finger at me like, uh, like it was a gun and sat back and just had this smirk on his face, but... It was more motivation for me to make sure he stayed behind bars. I think he should have gotten the death penalty for each one. It was a life. Robert Joe Long was sentenced to death for the murder of Virginia Johnson and received a separate death sentence for the murder of Michelle Sims. The other murders and Lisa's attack fell under a plea agreement where he received 26 life sentences. His conviction and sentence for Virginia Johnson was overturned for procedural flaws and retried three times. After the third overturning, he was acquitted of her murder. But all it takes is one death sentence. Back in April 2019, I received a call regarding Robert Joe Long from Tallahassee. So I go to my office and I sit down and she's telling me about that our governor of Florida, state of Florida, has just signed Robert Jolong's death warrant. What does that mean? And that um, he's going to be uh, executed on May 23rd. And I got to be honest, I, I started crying. Um, and I'll tell you why. Because I feel all these years, finally justice is going to be completed. But how one human being can have, I had the say-so, I was part of why he's being executed. I'm the one who got him caught. But then the law enforcement side of me Again, it's my compassion showing through. Law enforcement side of me said it's about time. And then she offered me to attend the execution. And without a shadow of a doubt, I said yes. I said, absolutely, I'll be there. Lisa didn't bring anyone with her to the execution. But she didn't have to go through it alone. I didn't take any family members. Uh, This is a journey I had to complete on my own. I needed that time for me. Surprisingly enough, uh, Sergeant Pinkerton was there, and uh, Hillsborough County Sheriff uh, retired sergeant was also there. And uh, we got to sit in the front row, and during the execution, uh, they both held me up again. They held my hand. It was surreal. Uh, he not once looked at me 
or anybody else from what I saw. Um, I did cry afterwards, post-execution, only because it's a complete feeling of, again, justice was finally completed. He's finally put to death. Uh, the families, the, uh, the victims he killed can go on with their lives. I can go on with my life and uh, not have to worry about is that one chance, a one little chance. Either he gets out of prison or he dies in prison. I didn't want him to have the satisfaction of dying in prison. That was too easy. He still got fed. He got to shower. He had recreational. You know, I wanted to see the execution go through. It was a long time overdue. Today, Lisa is a master deputy at the Hillsborough Sheriff's Office. Yeah, I think it's um, ironic that I am working for the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office. Um, I, I just feel that between Tampa Police Department and Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office, they helped save my life. They helped me save other women's lives. And I just made a promise to myself, one day I'm going to be in law enforcement. I work in the community outreach school resource section. I can't tell you the, uh, the reward I have working with young adults today. During the summertime, I do work uh, child abuse investigations with our Child uh, Protection Investigation Division. Due to my background, I don't like a child being hurt. I don't like a child being vulnerable to abuse. Our children today are our future. And if a child gets hurt, my job gives me the opportunity, again, to be a child's voice when in need. And I'm honored. And I use my story as an inspiration. There's, there's times I get victims of rape and I tell them my story to show them, hey, just because I've been through something horrible myself doesn't mean you can't make something of yourself. Use it as a motivation to go on with your life. It's hard. You've been going through counseling and all kinds of stuff, but it's always harder before it gets easier. To speak to someone at the Rape Abuse Incest National Network, call 1-800-656-HOPE or... 1-800-656-4673. You can also live chat with someone at rain.org. That's R-A-I-N-N dot O-R-G. To speak to someone at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, you can now dial 988, or you can live chat with someone at 988lifeline.org. I Survived is hosted and produced by Caitlin Van Mall and Law & Crime Network. Audio editing by Brad Maybe. For AE, our senior producer is John Thrasher, and our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn. Our executive producers are Jesse Katz, Sean Gottlieb, and Shelly Tatro. This podcast is based on AE's Emmy-winning TV series, I Survived. For more I Survived, visit AETV.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.